Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan, and this week I'm joined by my friend, Megan. And Megan is one of those people which I greatly appreciate. An open book has experienced, I, not, I wouldn't say too much <laughs> life, but more life than you would assume for someone her age. What that be good, bad, and different. You've experienced things that some will never experience. And of course, this is exactly where we want to have conversations like that. Now, Megan, I'm trying to think, I do believe the reason I met you is because when you started dating your now husband, Ben, correct? Right. Yeah. So a lot of shared mutual friends, like a lot of shared mutual yes. friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Many, it's one many. of the situations where it's like a welcome to the group kind of thing. Right. So how long have you and your husband been together now? We actually celebrate our nine year anniversary in two days. And we dated really? just like 18 months before that. So, um, so yeah, we're right at the, like the 10 year mark. Oh, so you guys did have a, like a, I'll call it a quick courtship. Yeah. And it was extra quick because the first, uh, we met the first time like in February and we met online and then I moved here in August. So from February to August was all long distance. We lived three hours away from each other. And then from August and then engaged in December <laughs> and then married in July. So, um, so yeah, very um, kind of short, especially considering the beginning of it was online. <laughs> How do you feel about your, your online experience? Cause I know some people, I feel like have a, a bad taste in their mouth towards it, but I swear I know so many couples that met that way. It was a little odd because it was kind of like the sheer, you know, it wasn't like going to like a bar or something where you might see like one person you thought maybe you'd like to talk to. It was like, everybody was there in order to try to find somebody. So like just the sheer quantity of like people who might be messaging you or people who you thought like read their profile and you thought, Oh, that might fit with like what I'm looking for because that was like the whole purpose. Um, and so like, we still kind of laugh. Ben is still saved in my phone. Um, as <laughs> Ben, um, Stouffer food poff because um, I was on multiple dating sites, which is really sounds horrible, but I had moved back home from a very small town and we were just kind of at the point where it was like, well, we're either related or, you know, like uh, we dated in high school. And so that was kind of off the table. Um, and to remember who he was, I had to give some kind of little nickname to him. So we met on Plenty of Fish, which is the POF. And then Stouffer as in Stouffer Foods and I could remember who he was just because of the sheer quantity of reading applications um, and he's still in my phone that way so it worked out. I love that. <laughs> I actually do that to people too like if I meet them let's just say they're my intern or something I keep them in as my intern or whatever nickname I gave them to remember who they were I never ever change them. <laughs> yeah Ben's like can we really get rid of that now and I know it's gonna no. stay like that forever. No, because it's funny. So you <laughs> did grow up in this area, right? No, I am from an hour north of Indianapolis. Oh, so okay. Yeah. So, so, so that's hence the long distance. So that's why you right. ended up down here, and you didn't want to date near that town then, <laughs> right? I was I was looking for a way out. I although I had just bought a house, I literally bought a house in August and met him in February. So, um, yeah, I was kind of looking for a something outside of home. You know what, though? I think that's obviously a good thing, because if you met someone from home, then ev again, everyone knows everyone. Everyone's in each other's business. They're related to someone like <laughs> it's nice to get a fresh start. 
Yeah, and it really was. And it, we, you know, we saw each other every other weekend and he would come up one time and then I would come down here the next time. And so um, it was just kind of nice because it was all the weekend was always something super special because we weren't we couldn't see each other through the week. We were both working and had other life obligations and we were just too far apart. So um, I think it gave us kind of a unique dating experience that coming down every weekend and part of that group that you were talking about is being brought into is, is the group down here and kind of the dynamic of that and and being so close to Louisville where I'm from a really small town. Um, so. so we were the city folk? <laughs> you were the city folk. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to college in Evansville, Indiana, I remember my roommates called me the city girl and I was like, wait, what? But in comparison to their tiny town where like the Walgreens and Dollar General was going into town, I didn't know. I mean, I thought I lived in a small town, right. but in comparison, I can see that. It's funny that we were the, we were probably a little scary. Our, well, I, I hate saying the group because now, I mean, everyone's so spread out has how many kids amongst us, but that was a very loud, boisterous, like kind of in your face. Welcome. <laughs> I'm yeah. Sorry. No, it was perfectly fine. And the funny thing is, is even though you guys are only just like three hours south of here, you're very much more like Southern in terms of like hospitality and hugs. Like we don't hug where I'm from. That's totally not a thing. People, it's like a Southern, like, I don't even know you, but I'm going to embrace you with my whole being. And uh, that was like almost like a culture shock that came down here to like my husband's big group of friends who all have kind of grown up together and they hug you. It was like this overwhelming um, kind of thing, but it was good. It was, it was friendly. Uh, that's good. We are, we are very friendly. And I will say I, when I went to school at IU for a while, again, you're talking an hour and a half North of here, but it is significantly more Northern. There's not as many Southern accents. You start, right. you have a much more like indie Chicago vibe versus a Louisville, Tennessee vibe or Nashville vibe. So I totally get what you're saying, but we are a, I don't know how many strangers that I meet that are like, Oh, I, I'm not, I don't do handshakes. I'm a hugger. Right. And that, well, not in 2020, well, but right. <laughs> either way, that is certainly a characteristic of this area. So, um, Ben and I went to high school together. He was a couple years older than me, but he is certainly known for his humor. So you obviously have a good sense of humor yourself. <laughs> yeah. I, I like to think that I do. Although at this point, um, we kind of joke often that it, he makes jokes in his humor and I don't even react a lot of the time anymore. And people kind of ask that all the time. Like, how does she, like, how does she live with you, dude? You know, like, he's like, well, it just doesn't phase her anymore. And uh, so, but we do, we laugh a lot together and we have a lot of fun and we have a lot of fun. He's hilarious with the kids. And um, actually right before we signed on, I had to get up and go peek out the window because Adelaide was laughing so hard and I couldn't figure out what they were doing. But um, yeah, he, he has a great sense of humor and it, it makes wow. things nice and easy um, for when we are kind of going through some of the crazy things we've been through. So walk me, so you guys have been married now nine years together about oh, just over 10. So when did you get pregnant with your first? Um, He was born... And actually, I think the day that we found out we were pregnant was this week. 
in 2016 because we went to the drive-in theater with some of the people from the group and I was really sick and Morgan actually threatened to drive me to the hospital and I had to pull her aside and be like I'm pregnant (laughs) so Ah. (laughs) um so yeah it was it was this week 2016 I guess wait 2016 no he's older than four (laughs) he's seven He's oh, almost no, he's not. Run. No, he's not. He's six and a half. He keeps telling people he's seven. Well, I can't math <laughs> at all. Wait. So what he, what, what's, what's his birthday? <laughs> February two thousand thirteen, and he was born okay, in fourteen. Okay. <laughs> I am so, so bad with dates. You'll have to forgive me. <laughs> listen, when you have more than one kid, I have to stop and think about every birthday. I was thinking. Well, our sons are basically like camp will be. He'll be seven in August. So he's just about six months older than Beckett then. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that I thought that's what, when you said 20, I was like, wait, maybe I was like, she's wait. thinking about her daughter. <laughs> Which would make more, a little more sense. How did maybe. your pregnancy go with Beckett? Was it a, did everything go like according to plan or? So we actually had an early miscarriage before Beckett and got pregnant with Beckett so quickly that we had to have ultrasounds with him starting it, I think like five weeks because um, they actually thought that he had potentially been a twin and that I had miscarried one twin and remained pregnant because we became pregnant so much, so quickly after our miscarriage. Um, And it turned out that was not the case. We had miscarried and then gotten pregnant with Beckett. his pregnancy was fairly normal. Um, just like the normal nausea first trimester being tired. I had, um, I have some really cool images of him in our third trimester because I got kidney stones. So I had to have an MRI done, um, passing kidney stones while, you know, seven months pregnant. Um, but I had to have an MRI done. So I have some really cool pictures of him in my belly. Um, and then he was almost two weeks overdue. Um, and then we were induced and then ended up with an emergency C-section. But overall, the pregnancy was just fairly normal. Um, Two weeks overdue, were you trying to go into labor naturally? Yeah. Yeah. We were really, were you really able- pushing. Huh? We were really pushing for naturally. And his due date changed a few times because of that miscarriage, because we couldn't quite accurately determine... <laughs> the cycle and things like that. Um, so, but yeah, we were really trying to have an all natural birth and go into labor naturally and, and all of that. And it just didn't happen. Beckett is now almost, well, no, not almost seven. He's six <laughs> and a half. I know I've, I've thrown myself know. off. I'm like trying to math in my head. I'm like, wait a second. What? Um, <laughs> so with that being said, so you and Ben had then been together roughly three or so years when you guys got pregnant. And then when did you get pregnant again with this, the second time? Yeah, no, when we were pregnant with Beckett, we had several early ultrasounds just because we were kind of unsure how that had played out. And then when we got pregnant again, when he was two, so at 2000 and what? No. 16. 16. Oh my God. (laughs) And uh, had kind of decided to 
take this pregnancy in a way where we were having less doctor's appointments so early on, less ultrasounds. We were still going in for like the normal appointments and Doppler heart checks and things like that, but we didn't have an ultrasound scheduled until 20 weeks for Connolly. Um, but at his, and that was a maternal fetal medicine where we have to have their organs and ex particularly their heart checked out a little more in depth um, during that one. But during that one, we had found out that he had actually passed away. At the 20 week appointment, or by the 20 week appointment? At the 20 week appointment, yeah. When we went in for our maternal fetal heart check, we didn't know the gender yet. We were supposed to find out the gender that day as well. Um, but because of how he had passed away, we weren't able to find the gender out until he was born. Um, and that was, we found out either the 12th or the 13th of February. Um, and then we were induced on Valentine's Day and he was born on the 15th. What, what was it like or going through your head knowing that you still had to be induced, go through that? after losing a child. I mean, that, I don't even, I can, my brain can't even fathom the fact that you would still have to like prep your body and go through that. Yeah. Um, so because I was downtown, um, they, and they, they see a lot more cases similar to that because they're the very high risk doctors. So they were just a little more like, matter of fact like this is what happened they did they were super sweet they actually cleared the waiting room and the hallways and escorted us out the back exit and they called the midwives at clark for us and the midwives called us and they were a little bit more of like the feeling and um and i actually had allison and she called me and we talked a lot and they were really sweet they offered several options um we could come in right then and be induced or we could choose to go home and think about it, or we could wait and see if my body would naturally go into labor um, and then look at induction later if that didn't happen. And so it was just a lot to think about. And we, you know, my in-laws were here babysitting Beckett so that we could go out for our ultrasound. So we had to come home and like, I just remember we just kept saying over and over again, like, there's no baby. And they were just so confused. Like, I don't, what do you mean there's no baby? <laughs> like, and um, I had called my mom at the doctor's office and just like tearfully said, like, I need you to come here. Um, and then we, and I just, that's all I told her. And she's like, okay, I'm getting in the car. And you know, that whole like mom gut, like all I had to say was like, I need you here. And she knew like she needed to get in the car and come. And so I came home. And just kind of processed it a little bit and called her back and just said, you know, we had a, we had been like leading up, you know, we were 20 weeks, like people asking what the gender is. We had put it all over Facebook, you know, like we're finding out today, tune in later today. We'll know what we're having. We're going to, we'll let everybody know. And so I said, like, I need you to start calling people. So people stop asking and she's like, and tell them what? <laughs> and I was like, oh, like I hadn't. And I said, like, our baby died and and uh so she started making phone calls to immediate family for me and then um and then just kind of came like we had to kind of publicly say something just because I personally needed all of the questions you know people were I was getting like Facebook notifications like we've been waiting all day when are you gonna say something what's going on and um 
And so just kind of had to announce it that way. And then Allison and the midwives at Clark just continued to check in with me, like sending me messages, sending me texts, like from their cell phones and just like supporting me in whatever plan we wanted to move forward with. And we waited a couple of days and then decided that um, to give ourselves some time. we actually went and had maternity photos done because I hadn't done that yet. And um went out to a nice dinner and stopped and picked up some things like a swaddling blanket and a stuffed animal to take to the hospital and then decided to go ahead and be induced. Um, and that was really, really hard. And one of the, we had the best nurse and she just let me take the reins. Like I'll be here. You can sit on that couch for the next three hours before we take the next step. You know, you just, and so they just gave me a lot of freedom to kind of call the shots on how I wanted that all to happen. And so we were able to, you know, to, I was able to take a warm bath and listen to music and sing songs. And um, we had a photographer from Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep come in and um, they put, they're really thoughtful in that they put a butterfly magnet on your door frame so that other people entering your room know how to interact with you when they come in and don't, you know, stick their foot in their mouth. Um, but yeah, it is, it is incredibly difficult to then um, have to give birth and go through the whole process of, of all of that and know that it's, the room will be silent um, when you do give birth and, um, and what that's going to look like and how to tolerate the pain. Luckily, my now I lay me down to sleep photographer was a really good advocate for me as well, because um, somewhere in my, you know, being induced with Pitocin when you're when your body is not at 40 weeks and not at all ready to be in labor, um, it was excruciating. And some part of me really felt like that pain was deserved because my body had oh. failed to continue. And, you know, I was the one person that was my sole job. Um, but she was able to, you know, kind of talk through that with me. And so I did, you know, be, was able to take some medication to not feel so, feel so much of that. Um, but in the end, you know, the leading up to it in some ways is the hardest part and the af like the leaving the hospital. But while we had Connolly, like for me, that's a really joyous time in my life. It's a very few short hours. But um, and it while it was definitely heartbreaking, it's the only time in my whole life I got to hold him and sing to him and rock him and read him books. So when I look back at the time from when he was born to when we left the hospital, that period of time is actually um, like, it's something I smile about when I think back to that, because those are the, that's the time I had with him. And those are the memories I have with him. So um, then, then the leaving the hospital is a whole, <laughs> a whole different ball game, but, um, but yeah. And then, and then your body goes through postpartum. Like, Ugh. I mean, you have newborn milk, you know, and, and I mean, you go through all of postpartum and um, with, with nothing in your arms left. Um, and so um, that was really hard, but in some way, Becca had weaned while I was pregnant and he hated it. He was not tolerating weaning well at all. And all of a sudden I had a ton of newborn milk that I needed to get rid of. And so, um, 
So we went back to nursing and he got all rosy cheeked and chubby. And, uh, and it was a way that, you know, we could also process what had happened together too. And so, um, so yeah, it was an experience. No, uh, I, um, I can't imagine any of that. And I'm so sorry that you went through that. And I respect you so much for how open you've been. And I mean, you do bring up something that because we post everything on social media and that's our way of involving people, you never think about what if you need to take back all those statements and then all of a sudden you have to make a different public announcement. And I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg and what you've gone through, but then you did something special for Connolly after he was born. And is it a, is it a, is it a tree or is it a bush? It's a bush. Okay. Um, yeah. Perrin Park in Jeff has a memorial walk. Um, and they're super fantastic. They, if you call and need to put in a memorial tree, they will, um, they'll give you a list of trees they don't already have there that they would like to have. And you, once you pick from that list, it's marked off. It doesn't, they don't get to, nobody gets to plant another one like that. And so, um, they allowed us to go and have a service on what would have been his due date and plant a tree and they take care of it for us too. Um, so they water it and they fertilize it and, um, you know, they come by if we, he has some little signs and little trinkets that we've put around it over the years when the tree gets too big, they move them or if they fall over in the wind, they put them back up for us. And we planted a tree here in our yard the same time. We planted them the same week. And uh, not that we haven't taken care of ours, <laughs> but um, the care that they give it at Perrin Park is so obvious. It's like the one there's oh, two or three times the size of ours here at home. So um so yeah, and then we go out there and and can see his plaque and and things like that. Um, when what was it like when you decided to try to have kids again? And I know did you did you discover was it a blood clotting disorder? Yeah. So interestingly, I had so the same exact time that I was finding out that Connolly had died another woman was at Clark having her ultrasound and our babies had a due date a day apart and she was finding out that her baby had died. Um, we were seeing the same midwives. I just happened to be downtown having my specialist ultrasound and she was at Clark. And then she checked into the hospital February 14th and she checked out and I checked into the same room and we shared a nurse for several hours. She got the end of a shift and I took or she had the nurse's beginning of the shift and I took the end of the shift and without breaking HIPAA, she had managed to find a way to say like, there's another mom in your exact situation. You guys are have babies with the same due date. You guys are sharing the same hospital room. Um, and we were able to get connected <laughs> um, by authorize, you know, authorizing our information to be shared to, to each other. Um, and we processed all of that kind of loss together. We were complete strangers. <laughs> we had never met before. She lives in Louisville. Um, and kind of walk through that all together. For her, it was really important to get pregnant um, right away, immediately. And, um, and for me, I really needed to wait until Connolly's due date had come and gone. Um, and it was just... 
I know it's not really accurate, but in my head, I needed to like give him the full time he needed to have been here. Does that make sense? Um, Honestly, I feel like I would have probably done the same thing. That makes yeah. sense to me completely. Yeah. Like I knew Give just the, like, like his time. Right. And it just kind of messed with my head a little bit. Um, because when we had our miscarriage before Beckett and then people would occasionally say something about just like Beckett being here. And it always just kind of sat with me that if our, for the grief of our first baby, but if that baby hadn't have died, would we have Beckett? So, like, I needed to give Connolly his, like, full time. So we decided we wouldn't even try to get pregnant again until after his due date had come and gone and we had processed what that looked like and moved on. Um, and then because we had had multiple losses, we had to have some blood work done. And it came back that I have a, a the MTHFR gene mutation um, and some just is a blood disorder correct it's i don't think it's actually a blood disorder but it affects a lot of things it affects your heart it affects your lungs it affects all kinds of things um and then some other blood work just showed some levels that weren't quite right not necessarily like an illness or anything but um so when we did get pregnant um, one of the things with the mthfr is that you can't take folic acid you have the man-made you have to take folate um, and I needed things like B12 and vitamin D and um, blood thinning shots that I had to take um, daily. And um, <laughs> so I was, I mean, it was like, like, I felt like I was, you know, I had to get one of those like multi-day AM, PM, 21 <laughs> slot pill separators um, to kind of keep track of all of the things that I needed to take and do and shots I needed to give myself to try to maintain being pregnant. Um, the shots are not fun. No. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't know that I had a blood clotting disorder until in between two and three. Okay. So for my third pregnancy, I was high risk for the first time and had to do the blood thinning shots every single time. Um, and that that was a lot and then they're like and do it six weeks postpartum and I was like what do you mean six weeks postpartum and they're like well actually that's the most dangerous time for blood clots I was like oh okay cool and I don't that is certainly it is just a different side of pregnancy that you don't ever imagine like this is what I'm going to be doing when I have a baby someday like right and and I just I remember like how freaked out the first time it became somewhat normal although awful the tighter the skin on your belly got (laughs) like the less I could pinch, the, the worse it became to have to kind of give those shots. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was so much. And we were having early ultrasounds and we had to have blood work done because we didn't know why Connolly died. Um, we know that he wasn't as developed and as grown as he should have been, even though we have heartbeats um, on Doppler from appointments past what his growth size looked like um and so we were I was just having appointments all of the time and um and then when I was 13 weeks pregnant my husband went into cardiac arrest at work <laughs> okay so, let's, so let's I am um... there for a second I was just wondering what the timeline was I was I was thinking either you had a newborn or you were pregnant so you had just hit your second trimester and actually yeah. your husband 
worked at the same place my dad did, a company in New Albany, your husband went into cardiac arrest while working. Right. Um, so I'm like, here I am. I also have an autoimmune disorder. So, and you know, sometimes when you go to the doctor and first they let you see like somebody who's training to do that job before the doctor comes in. And I remember I said, I'm high risk. And she said, oh, honey, there's like high risk. And then there's like a bubble above that that's like higher risk. And then there's like you in your own little bubble way at the top. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, oh okay. Good. So I'm already kind of like living in that space and just, you know, trying to, and my husband is uh, at work, working third shift and goes into complete and total cardiac arrest um like and i didn't know this until after the fact like even when if you get out an aed and put it on somebody for it to shock somebody there has to be a rhythm and it wouldn't shock him it read nothing um it did, like might as well like stuck it on a log um he was clinically deceased and oh my god from looking at security footage that they pulled there's an estimate that he was actually clinically deceased for somewhere between like 28 and 32 minutes. What? Yeah. That long? Yeah. Um, so thankfully, um, there he had just passed a coworker. They had just passed each other, moving in opposite directions. And that coworker went and did what he needed to do and came back out. And he says, he, and I talked to him, he doesn't know why. Um, and you know, it's, uh, John Murray, <laughs> Oh yeah, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't know why, but for some reason he decided to go check on Ben, but he doesn't have, and he had no reason to, he had no reason to walk over to where Ben was like, and, um, he was actually under his machine and, um, they called for help and another coworker knew how to do CPR and started CPR and the ambulance just happened to be over at McDonald's, parked over at McDonald's, right across from where they work. And uh, they got over there and I believe they managed to, at some point in that first little bit, um, they'd already applied the AED, it wouldn't shock him. They tried multiple times. I believe the EMTs got a shock. And I don't know if it's because they were using their equipment and it's different. Um, and then they took him to Floyd and um, it has been told to us, and you know, sometimes, sometimes you hear stuff secondhand and things like that. You're not always sure, but it's been told to us that at some point in time they said, like, it's time to call it, like, um, and they knew kind of our story. They knew that you know, just 13 months before that, our son had passed away. Here, I was super high risk, pregnant, and and uh and ben medically has already kind of survived a lot anyways and um they decided to give him one more shock and caught a rhythm um, and so they put him in a hypothermic coma and um we moved into the icu at floyd and i started having contractions oh <laughs> and no so um it's like i couldn't walk to the cafeteria I had to have a friend come pick me up and take me to Clark to have an appointment because I was having contractions. And um, after 48 hours of him being on the hypothermic um, bed, they came in and told me, so it was like, a, this had happened on like a Sunday night. 
And so they told me that on Tuesday evening, that when they started turning the machines off on Wednesday morning, there would be a 10%, less than a 10% chance that he would wake up. And that if he were to wake up, that there would be a less than 1% chance that he would have enough brain function to ever come back home. And, uh, <laughs> and I, there was only supposed to be one person in the ICU, but occasionally early, early in the morning, a friend of mine would come and they'd let her sit with me for a while. And I remember I just shook my head and like smiled at him like, okay, <laughs> I don't know. I like just didn't process. And then I looked over at my friend and she was crying and I thought, what did he say to me? <laughs> like, I just, and so he left and I asked the nurse for clarification and my friend stepped out and she said, let me go get him and figure out exactly what he's saying. And she came back in and she said, you need to be prepared to be a widow tomorrow morning. Oh my God. Um, and so that's kind of where I was at at that point, 14 weeks, incredibly high risk <laughs> pregnant with a, just out of toddlerhood, kiddo at home, um, and they're telling me I need to prepare to be a widow in the morning. And um, thankfully, in the morning, <laughs> so we were talking about my husband's sense of humor earlier. Yes. They start bringing him out of um, the coma. They start bringing, the, you know, they warm his body up, and it's kind of a process, right? They can't just, like, suddenly make you warm. Yeah. So it takes <laughs> several hours, and... um and he would wake up a little bit and be kind of combative. So they'd have to add a little bit more sedation or his heart rate would get too high. And so it was just kind of this back and forth. And then they kind of got him all the way awake to where his eyes were open. And, and when you're in that situation, you have your own nurse, like a nurse that like lives in your room. And um, she came over to him and kind of got his attention and said, Hey, Hey, do you, do you know what your name is? And he said, Bob Vila. Oh my god! And she turned around and looked at me like, "Oh," and I was going because he has no idea that he's even in a hospital, right? Like the last memory he has is at work, and uh, I'm like, "He's being funny. He's being funny," and I'm then like trying to explain to him, like, "You have to answer them real. They're trying to see if your brain is still functioning correctly. Please tell them your actual name." And so, um. He kind of, he just slowly came back out of it and doctors he didn't have and nurses that weren't his would stop in his room with tears just rolling down their face and calling him a miracle man. There's zero scientific explanation, which is not the first time in his life <laughs> for, for why he survived what he did. And, um, and so, I mean, even when he went down to get a CAT scan, um, the lady at the computer, you know, if you've ever had to have a CAT scan, there's somebody yeah. and they're just operating the computer portion of it. They're not. And she pulled up his chart and she said, you're him. You're the you're the miracle man. Um, and she had no idea to know who he was, you know, like um, and he really was. They, there was there was no reason that explained why he survived and why he survived and could come home and parents and live with us and um so we did get an interesting diagnosis out of it it's called a sudden death syndrome it's that's genetic. a syndrome 
it's yeah it's there's actually a whole um there's like a collection of them but they all fall under the umbrella of sudden death syndrome and they're there's not a whole lot known about them <laughs> it's genetic so our kids have a 50 percent chance of having inherited it um and so i actually just got off the phone with their specialist at riley uh, a couple hours ago to schedule their checkups in november and so um and then i went on to be pregnant with my husband who couldn't work who was on restrictions and and um my Beckett, our oldest, he calls the people who saved Ben hero. So like there's hero Chad, hero Johnny, hero Kyle. Um, and we, like hero Chad is the one that did CPR. And I mean, I am so appreciative and I don't ever <laughs> um, want him to feel bad. Like he had like a broken sternum, multiple broken ribs, which is totally normal for having CPR done on you. Um, but uh so, and I'm super high risk pregnant and we kind of didn't say a whole lot, but most of Adelaide's pregnancy was touch and go. Um, we kind of, at one point we thought we were kind of in the clear. We'd been taking all our vitamins. Ben was home. I wasn't having contractions anymore. I had had like incredible swelling in my legs and that had stopped since we got him home. Um, and we went in for an ultrasound and found out that she had um, I think it's diastolic blood reversal. So basically my, her placenta had started rejecting the used blood out of her body. So it was at a certain pressure, it turns that blood around and pumps it back into their body. And it's almost immediately fatal. So now I'm also having to do kick counts twice a day for an hour and record the results. And if they're a certain level, you know, call the midwives, follow their instructions, either come in to labor and delivery or, you know, drink some cold orange juice and do another 30 minutes and having stress tests and ultrasounds and maternal fetal medicines, two to three appointments a week. And, uh, and so then we kind of got through that. We figured that all out. She was, uh, inner, inner uterine growth restricted. She was way too small. So I have to start upping my protein, changing my diet, and we kind of get that figured out. She starts gaining weight. We're like, okay, we feel like we've jumped all the hurdles. We go in for one last appointment so that we can just get the okay to wait for labor to come naturally. And our doctor looks at us and says, and it's labor, it's just a couple days before Labor Day weekend. And he says she will not live to her due date. And uh, because her placenta had started calcifying and it was no longer supporting life. So at that point in time, we had to make the decision to be induced <laughs> because um, he just flat out said like, she won't, she won't make it that long. And we were like 38 weeks. So it wasn't like we were okay. Okay. Inducing, like, like a preemie, or something. Right. We were at the end of our pregnancy. Just, we had kind of felt like we had made it through all of these hurdles. Everything felt safe. And instead he said, she won't, she won't survive. And so we went into Clark and attempted to be induced and it didn't work. And I had a C-section the next morning. Um, it's amazing how much your body can fight being induced. Oh, if it's not ready. Yeah. Well, and because of my prior history, I could only be induced with a balloon cast. There was no medicinal option. Um, oh, 
because I'd already had an emergency C-section, because we had already had Connolly, who was stillborn, there was that was our only option. And it didn't like it didn't work immediately. And so I kind of joke, it was actually like, in some ways, really nice. I had a hospital room. There was like, it was quiet. I got to sleep. Like they'd already given me medicine. I just like chilled out and just waited for my C-section the next morning. I got a full night's sleep. The little kid wow. climbing in bed with me. Like they should really do this for everyone, every woman. <laughs> um, so yeah. And now Adelaide is three. She'll be three at the end of next month. Your stories. And again, like I knew an outline of all of these stories for the most part, just because of like what you've shared from socials and just mutual friends. But like hearing you tell these tales, you still smile in every picture I see of you. You are unapologetically honest in the best way, but at the same time, so supportive of other people to help them. And whether that's talk to them about, possibly losing a child or having a miscarriage to helping them figure out how to homeschool their children <laughs> or how to when before 2020 went on lockdown, you did, uh, had amazing work with foreign exchange students. Like you continue to give and give and give when you have been given some of the most extraordinary hurdles before the age of 40. <laughs> well, thanks. I try. Um, there are moments and times that I definitely fail <laughs> where um, it's just kind of overwhelming or kind of blinding rage. Um, <laughs> there, there are times that I, that I know people talk about the postpartum experience that they don't expect, you know, the part of being a mom you don't expect and how your anxiety and your worries and your fears manifest. And so many moms talk about how that comes out in anger. And that was so totally unanticipated, right? Like we talk about being depressed or being the baby blues, or we talk about, but um, mine almost always manifests in frustrated anger um or sarcastic <laughs> anger <laughs> talk about the, I've talked about this with several other women but like they don't talk about postpartum and how it can affect you and like even right now I have an eight-month-old and I think that I should be over postpartum but when you talk about the frustration maybe that's what granted 2020 will put a lot of stress and anxiety on anybody but like that may be why I'm so quick to go so dark or so frustrated instantaneously. I mean, combine that with lack of sleep, working from home full time with three kids at home and breastfeeding and everything else. There's a lot on there, but like people don't talk about that. Like you react so different after each kid, even like your body reacts differently. And especially your surroundings after your first, it's like, okay, they're napping. I'm napping. Well, then when you have more than one, you can't nap when they're napping. There's another one awake. Right. Like, <laughs> can't sleep. What are you thinking? And also who sleeps anymore? Like right. I don't sleep anymore. I know we, uh, so you know how people kind of say like, Oh, your first baby, you know, they sleep and you know, they're so sweet and they trick you into having that second one. Ours, ours is actually the exact opposite experience. Um, and you know, my six and a half year old, he hasn't slept through the night ever other than the like, occasional, Oh, wonder what he's coming down with kind of like, Oh, he slept for 14 hours last night. Something's wrong. Um, so yeah, no sleep, no sleep is happening here. Um, but, but yeah, I think there's a lot kind of to be said that sometimes the response 
is is anger and frustration rather than like you know i think there's a lot of memes and even things like but you know that like closing the door and crying in the bathroom or eating a chocolate yeah. bar and crying into a bottle of wine kind of thing um and not to say that that doesn't happen or to disqualify people who are having those experiences but i think when i talk to other moms that i find that sometimes that reaction of anger um is one that we don't notice you know we're experiencing it but we don't realize it's necessarily a reaction to our bodies having had babies and processing the world around us that, that that's something that comes out so i try really hard to not live in that place and we don't we try not to live in a place of fear but we try really hard also to live in a place that's very real um, you know, even now, like our risks of what's happening in the world right now are very real. And, um, and the reality of kind of what our lives look like without living in that place that, that is dark. Um, and I think that's a hard balance to, to have, um, you know, cause like I said, my husband's, so, um, he also has a lung disorder, which is genetic. So for our family, we're we're a family of four high risk people, um, at this in 2020 and, um, and, but we live our day to day with a lot of joy. We go, Ben is waving at me through the window. We, uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, we, yesterday we went fishing, we go, we go swimming, we, you know, play out on the swing and go for bike rides. And, but, um, in the bigger picture of kind of what's happening in the world to try to, facilitate that not living in in anger or in fear and finding ways to turn it into something positive um i try really hard to focus on although i will admit 2020 is a harder year to do that in than most i would say everybody's in that boat this year so i would say <laughs> you get a you get a pass and i mean again you've been so open about doing your you do such fun things with the kids and you're an extraordinary mother. I mean, good God, sometimes, and again, not to compare myself, but sometimes I'm like, Megan is doing the coolest stuff and I've never touched a craft or oh, no. say, I need to do that today. I am growing a garden. So I see your garden and I'm like, isn't it fun? I think truly the garden is like part of my favorite thing, my favorite part of 2020 outside of my newborn. Um, but in general, what, given that you've almost lost your husband, you've you've dealt with having to lose children, which is not something anyone should have to go through that smile on your face. How do you do it? What, what, what keeps you smiling out? Yes. You have your beautiful children, but like you have an outlook on life that is very refreshing and to keep you pushing this way. What's your secret? Um, <laughs> so I think, so my, my friend that I told you about that her son had passed away on the same day that Connelly had passed away. Um, she and I kind of routinely have said, um, like, having lost my son made me a better person. Granted, I would have rather stayed a crappy person <laughs> and had my kid. <laughs> but <Yes>. um, <laughs> so, but I think it just, it gave a different outlook on life and how short life is and what's really important. Um, and, and for us just personally, where we want to invest our time and really put a place in my heart. And I think hers too, for a lot of empathy, 
Um, because I just remember so many times that I wished the world around me would not necessarily know my experience because I don't think everybody needs to know it. You know, like, I think just, like, I would be grocery shopping and it was the, one of the hardest side effects was having the loss of, like, brain fog, only brain fog, like, to the extreme, to where I couldn't go to the grocery store and come home with what I needed. I would just wander the aisles to the point that I was crying. Like, I know I need something. I'd look at the list so many times. I'd have no idea where I was. And um, because it was just grief was so heavy, it, it literally had just shut off parts of my brain in order to function for what needed to happen. And, uh, and so so many times in my life, I just wished that the people around me realized ex- how much was going on in my life. Do you know what I mean? That that they would have some empathy for what I was going through, even though they didn't know and that we're all going through something huge and the grace needed that we need to give to everybody. Um, and so I try really hard to live my life in a way where I'm giving the people around me grace and having empathy for them um, in the situations that they're in or the situations that I don't know that they're in. Um, kind of the whole like play the devil's advocate <laughs> and that I really just don't always know the whole story. Um, and just, I think that's, that's a lot of grace and a lot of empathy and understanding that I don't know what's going on in other people's lives. And I don't need to, to be able to extend that to people. Megan, honestly, I feel like you and I need the episode two with one another. Of <laughs> I need to know, well, well, let's see what happens with back to school. We'll, we'll just, we'll just handle 2020 as its own topic later. <laughs> um, because I feel like we could go so much further into your incredible story, but thank you for being so open and thank you for sharing your story. And I was like secretly crying over here while you were talking. Just because again, I knew your story this entire time at, well, a close distance, I should say, but hearing you tell it again, I mean, you're just an extraordinary wife and mother and person in general. So thank you for helping other people and sharing your story with me today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I have enjoyed it. Hopefully it is somewhat cathartic even just to talk about it.